It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here on first down and goal from the one is Lavelle Coppage in untouched for the touchdown. No, maybe the easiest touchdown Lavelle Coppage has ever scored. Burke looking to throw, looking in the end zone, looking for Denton, and he's got him for the touchdown. Each week, those who know Division Three football break down the weekend. There are several teams that seem to have established themselves as elite, and as we get into this postseason, it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty exciting to watch which ones emerge. I don't, I don't think we can say, okay, these two teams are, this should definitely meet in the Stag Bowl, or these four teams should definitely meet in the Final Four. I think it's going to be um, you know, pretty exciting five weeks of playoffs. From the record breakers. Well, Patty, he's been a guy who's averaged eight yards a carry all season. He's been a big play guy, and if you're a frequent listener to the podcast, you, you know this is not the first time that we've had occasion to mention Western Connecticut, Connecticut State or Octavius McCoy. It's actually his third consecutive five-touchdown game. To the surprises on the field. One just out of the blue makes me go, what the hell was that, Wartburg? Wow, congratulations. That's a heck of a way to get into the second round. To the surprises off the field. For the first time in a few years, not surprised, maybe pleasantly surprised that uh, all eight at large teams that we projected actually got in. It, it seems to me like the NCAA actually followed their own rules correctly. You even hear from those on the sidelines. You know, we had no idea where the record set. I knew he was probably over 400. You know, just by coincidence, we were up two scores late, and uh, you know, he, he had a carry to the sideline, and I'm like, let's get him out of here. We don't want to get him hurt for next week. There is only one place to turn to, the only show that covers the entire Division Three football nation. D3Football.com's Around the Nation podcast. I don't think you, you can argue it now, Pat. You have two dominant teams at the top of Division Three. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. This week I'm joining you from the back of a sedan streaking across the countryside in Iowa after having seen a pair of football games as Warburg defeating Bethel and co-defeating Cornell. Keith will be uh, joining us here in just a second, but uh, an interesting week, I think, in the fact that Warburg really showed, uh, again, that it's going to be a, a really strong contender in Division Three football this week. Defeating Bethel, Keith, uh, beating him 31-14, to and, and frankly, uh, especially throughout the entire third quarter and the entire second half, Bethel just wasn't in the game. Yeah, and, and that comes as a shock from uh, from somebody who wasn't at the game you know, we, we've seen Wartburg be a surprise in the past. You know, you just got to go back to the, the, the playoffs last season. But I think it was, it was um, it just comes as a little bit of a surprise. I had Bethel even higher in my poll um, than they were in the overall top 25 just because of the strength of the MIAC, because of the number of people they had coming back. And uh, so, so that result, I think, was, was pretty shocking to me. Uh, you were there, so you tell me. Yeah, it was interesting. I think Bethel really struggled on offense, and, and part of it is because of the defensive front, of course, of uh, Wartburg, who we saw uh, time and time again over the last few games last season and the first couple of games this season, and I talked with Coach Rick Willis of Wartburg about that after the game. You know, we're, a little, we're usually a little undersized up front, and we use our speed and quickness and movement, um, try, to, try to use that to our advantage, and and just, you know, guys run into the football. And those guys, I thought, were relentless in their pursuit today and maybe statistically didn't have a ton to show for it at the end, but I don't think they let uh, Bethel's quarterback, who's a great player, get comfortable back there the entire day. And then, Keith, also on top of that, you got to remember this is Bethel's first game and Warburg's second game. That has a little bit of a, of a, an advantage, obviously, for Warburg as well. But, you know, Bethel also showed its inexperience on offense. Um, you know, Brandon Marquard uh, didn't look to be running at 100%. I don't know if that's just because of, uh, of you know, the way Warburg was uh, defending him or the, the how strong Warburg is this year. So he's a guy who's coming back, though, uh, on the offense for them. They're... Uh, wide receiver set is entirely new. Uh, they had, uh, I think Eric Peterson threw a few balls that in the past he would have been counting on guys such as Mitch Hallstrom to actually catch. And in this case, he was not able to, uh, to get uh, his new cropper receivers to bring them in. So I think it'll be interesting for Bethel over the course of the next couple weeks because uh, those guys are going to have to mature and they'll probably find. Uh, the running game a little bit easier to come by in uh, a lot of games in the MIAC, but uh, certainly a, a, a bit of a struggle and a bit of a shock for Bethel as they open the season this week. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the big big shocks, of course, if you just look by looking at the stat sheet, 65 yards rushing is, is a very un-Bethel-like number, 2.7 yards per carry, and then 2 of 15 on third down. Sounded like a Warburg, especially in, in the second half, was, was pretty dominant. Warburg and uh, and Logan Schrader had a fantastic third quarter, certainly helped by the fact that the offense was on the field quite a bit, but he accounted for almost 200 yards of total offense by himself. Uh, Warburg pulled out the read option on the goal line a couple of times, and, and Bethel looked completely confused, and Schrader had a couple of easy walks into the end zone. That was the only game between ranked teams. Uh, obviously, there were a lot of other big games on Saturday. And then a game which, you know, I think we thought would be pretty good and would be pretty interesting, but maybe not in record-setting fashion. And that's the way that uh, Rose Holman uh, dispatched with Illinois College. Yeah, the crazy thing from my end, of course, Pat, is, you know, you, you kind of hanging around on Saturday night. You see the tweets coming in. You're like, well, we got a shootout going on here. So I was able to tune in to this game and I was impressed with uh, the fact that I was able to get it right on my phone. And, and uh, you know, my, my kids are watching TV. So all I did was plug in the headphones, start watching this game. And, it, and when I picked it up, it was 54-51 and ended up being a, a 74-68 game. So I got about 37 points out of it, but it was just completely back and forth. And the, and the crazy thing is, you know, when um, there was a point in the game, Rose Holman tied it at 54 and then they they went up by a touchdown with a with a run basically straight. I'm pretty sure it was a read option play, but it was straight run up the middle, 45 yard touchdown run approximately. And then um, Illinois College gets the ball back. They have about a minute and a half left in the game at this point. And then they go two plays straight run up the middle for a touchdown. And it was just one of those days. Uh, I'm not going to say it was a great. D3 game in the sense that it was a great game, but it wasn't, I don't want to say it, was well, it wasn't super well played, obviously, because, you know, you have defenses giving up 74 and 68 points. Um, that's not ideal. And, and, you know, as you watch that game, you go, these defensive coordinators must be pulling their hair out going, I wish somebody could just make a tackle and a stop. And there, there's points in the game where, you know, a guy steps in front of a pass and could have a game ending interception, especially when you get into overtime. Um, you know, and, and the guy drops it, and you just wish, you know, the, for the defenses, you wish they could make a play. But for the offenses, it's great. Uh, the, you know, the guys are making plays all over the place. Receivers are diving for balls, great runs, great blocking, all this stuff. So, uh, I mean, I think those games are fun to watch, and it must have been pretty fun, especially since the game was at Rose Holman. And uh, it looked kind of bad for them at, at a couple points because they missed a kick in overtime. And then uh, Illinois College, this is in the second overtime, they missed a field goal. Illinois College misses a field goal, then also misses one at the beginning of the third overtime, setting up uh, the opportunity for uh, for Rose Holman to win. And they went in front of their home crowd. They got to sing the, I'm not sure what is it their fight song or, or whatever it was, but it was that was kind of cool to see at the end of the broadcast, uh, those guys winning. And, and, you know, it's just kind of mind-boggling for, for Illinois College to win, you know, score 68 points and lose. So just a couple of the records that were set in this game are tied. Of course, uh, we mentioned that uh, the game tied the uh, most number of points in a Division Three football game, uh, which had been uh, previously set uh, in uh, 2007. Also uh, set the record for most touchdown passes in a game with 13 and the record for the uh, most snaps on offense. A four-hour game and three overtimes in which Rose Holman, of course, Keith, uh, improves to 2-0. and uh, this is my, uh, that's my team on the rise for this week. Uh, you know, obviously uh, beating Kalamazoo is one thing. Uh, beating a team that, you know, uh, people would uh, like to promote for the uh, some status in the top 25 and is at the very least... Uh, a preseason pick in the Midwest Conference to play in that conference's title game. Uh, it's a pretty significant win for Rose Holman. For, is a you know a program that uh, you know while they won a share of the HCAC last year, hasn't really done much on the national scene in football. You know, and, and not only that too. I think it's one of the one of the best teams they're going to play all season. Obviously, they'll they'll play Franklin down the line here, um, and maybe the best quarterback they'll see all season in, in Michael Bates. And it was kind of. Um, there were a couple points earlier in the game, you know, Illinois College led 19-3 in the second quarter. Um, so so it wasn't it wasn't by any means a game where Rose Holman, you know, got it going right away. Now Rose Holman scored like the next four touchdowns or whatever to, to, to go up 30-19 to after they were down 19-3. So it was a crazy back and forth game, but it wasn't like they had it going right from the beginning. So they had to rally a little bit, obviously. 
um, as it was back and forth late in the fourth quarter in overtime, they had to dig deep. And I think that is a pretty big win. It's certainly one, you know, as a player, you never forget. I mean, you and I, Pat, it were, were took, took part in our own ways in a game that was 50-50, you know, almost 20 years ago, I guess now, right, in 96. And, and that game is still like f- folklore at, at the two schools where it took place. Um, and so this game is definitely going to be one that these guys will remember for forever, you know, for a long time. And I think, but as far as this season goes, you know, you talk about them being a team on the rise. I think that's the kind of win that can, uh, that can really spark a team, not just to, to prove you can go out and score points with somebody, but, you know, multiple times during a game where you have to kind of overcome, you know, whether it's giving up a big play and you have to come right back and score one or you're, you know, you look like you're in a bad situation and you got in your guys dig deep and, and find a way to win that one. Uh, it's certainly the, the type of win that, that uh, could spark them. I think going uh, forward here, four guys caught three touchdown passes, two on each side, five players uh, had a hundred yards receiving or more. And three of them had 200 yards receiving through the air. Alec Fisher, 10 catches for 219 yards and three scores for Rose Holman. Josh Gentile, 14 for 261 and three touchdowns for Illinois College. And the Blue Blaze also had 201 yards on 16 catches and three scores from Bryce Heaton. Uh, Keith mentioned Michael Bates. He was 42 of 73 for 535 and six scores. And Austin Swenson outdid him at 37 for 59 passing, 603 yards and seven touchdowns. So yeah, what's uh, let's see. That's our uh, that's our big picture. That was also my team on the rise, Keith. What was your team on the rise this week? Yeah, I hate to go back to something that we already touched on, but I think it has to be Warburg. It, it was the only game this week between ranked teams, and uh, you know, for an Iowa conference team to to beat a top level Mayak team, really one of the top two or three teams perennially in the Mayak, I think is big, and it's not just. Um, you know, big regionally Midwest, but, but beating Bethel is, is, you know, a, a top 25, the type of, type of win that you can sort of rest your, rest your hat on, I guess, later in the season where even if they, they struggle a little bit in conference or they have a loss later in the season, you can always go back and say, well, they did beat Bethel and Bethel's going to end up being pretty good. So I think that's uh, that's a team on the rise, uh, at least when it comes to top 25. Pretty front-loaded for schedule for Warburg. They go on to play Wisconsin Stout next week. Then they have a bye, and they open the Iowa conference schedule with uh, three of the other conference contenders uh, in uh, no particular order, Co Central, and Dubuque. So it's going to be interesting first half of the season for Warburg. I'm giving my game ball this week, Keith, to Kevin Metzler of St. Thomas. Uh, linebacker, two-and-a-half tackles for loss, a forced fumble, nine tackles as the 11th ranked Tommy shut out Wisconsin lacrosse. I picked him because I look at that. That's a position at St. Thomas where they've had a lot of turnover in recent years. They've graduated a, a, a good crop of really standout linebackers and, you know, they kind of need somebody and need, you know, needed a lot of guys to come in and fill in spots there. And the defense has been uh, really consistent for St. Thomas here in the early season, whereas the uh, offense was a little bit slow last week against Eau Claire and then uh, really turned it on against lacrosse this week. Well, a lot of pretty ridiculous offensive performances on Saturday across the, the nation. Uh, Greg Lee was the running back that, uh, that that had a great game for Rose Holman. But I got a different Greg that I'm going to give my game, game ball to. A running back named Greg Bell from Hartwick carried 51 times for 331 yards, 6.5 yards a carry, three touchdowns for Hartwick. Turned out uh, it was in a losing effort against Morrisville State because Morrisville State scored with 40 seconds left, a 22-yard touchdown pass from uh, Lamar Johnson to Anthony Mella, and uh, the the two-point conversion ended up giving Morrisville State 43-40 win over Hartwick. But I think anytime you carry 51 times in a game, that's somebody who's putting their body on the line and, uh, and trying to give their, their team the best chance to win. So that's my game ball for this week. You mentioned Lamar Johnson. Boy, that, that guy has really put Morrisville State on the map, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a a team that was low, low level, pretty much. I don't want to say I'm trying to think of a better word than doormat, but it was, you know, the kind of the the bottom feeder uh, in whichever conference it was in for for a few years now. And I think now it's starting to be a a team that uh, everybody's going to have to worry about. 
How about afterthought? Does that work for you? Sure, afterthought. I should, see how you know you, you, you stumble over a couple words there, and then your whole your whole thought gets jumbled. But um, the, you know they had uh, almost 500 yards of total offense on Saturday, and and not, you know Hartwick had the ball for about 40 minutes, which is kind of you know amazing. Morrisville State scores 43 points, and they didn't have the ball for 20 minutes. But I think too, just being able to to come from behind, and uh, they actually trailed in this game uh, 40-21, and, and Lamar Johnson rallied them for three touchdowns late in the fourth quarter. You know, maybe I should should have gave my game ball to him. So, as I mentioned, Rose Holman, my team on the rise, my team on the downslope, I'm looking at Methodist. Methodist uh, lost to Guilford 52-20. Matt Pawlowski was the big quarterback in that game uh, for Met- for uh, Guilford rather than Max Reber for Methodist just because I think the fact that they had a real chance this week to show something against a team that uh, if nobody else, Adam Turner thought they would compete in the uh, uh, Old Dominion Athletic Conference this year. Uh, Guilford started off nicely at 2-0 uh, and, and Methodist had a shot to uh, you know really make a statement for the USA South and really did uh, was not able to do so as Guilford beat them 52 to 20. Yeah, and, and Guilford's been impressive now, 52 points in uh, in consecutive weeks. So that's a team at least offensively has got it figured out. And and you can't argue with the defense, 52-0 uh, last week against Greensboro. Now 52-20. The uh, right as as you mentioned, uh, Guilford was someone that we we pegged in kickoff to be pretty good, but um, but they're looking pretty good. My um, my teams that are falling, I think uh, we got to go with Bethel. We mentioned them already. The number seven overall. Uh, you don't expect them to lose early in the season. I had them, I think, as high as third on my ballot. And uh, here's another one for you: Salisbury. Goodness, 40, 43 to five. Uh, the loss to uh, to Wesley on Saturday. You know, the the loss is not surprising. I think this is potentially one of Wesley's best teams. You know, maybe with the right up there with the Brian Robinson teams and with the Shane McSweeney teams. Like this is potentially. Uh, a, a really good Wesley team, but you don't expect 43-5. The game was at Salisbury. You know, there was every reason to believe uh, they could compete. They beat a pretty good team last week in in, in uh, Christopher Newport, and the opener scored 41 points, so you figure their offense is, is okay. And, and maybe this tells us more about how good Wesley's defense is. Like, again, 43-5, I had uh, Salisbury in my top 25 last week, and, and by the time this podcast comes out, they, they won't be on my ballot. Yeah, I, uh, I'm pretty sure I had them on my ballot as well. Um, you know, I thought they looked pretty good last week against Christopher Newport. Uh, and Christopher Newport, well, we'll probably talk about that game at some point a little bit later. Uh, my obscure game of the week, how about Hiram defeating Denison to go 2-0? and I mean, you know, the Terriers could still very easily go 2-8. and I don't think they will because they've got uh, a couple of teams in that conference in the NCAC who I think they would uh, still compete very well with. But, um, you know... For Hiram to start off 2-0, that's a, that's a pretty big start for the Terriers. Uh, let's see. So it was uh, Mario Mario Lemuel with three sacks, a couple of interceptions, and a forced fumble. They beat Denison 37-26. to And you remember how Hiram came back and beat Westminster of Pennsylvania last week in week one. So it's, dare I say, momentum for Hiram, which I think are three words I've never said consecutively in that order before. Well, that's pretty funny. Um Pat, my obscure game of the week, obscure team of the week, I guess, uh, Buffalo State. They put up 51 against Cortland last week and put up 60 this week at Manchester, which is a little bit of a, a little bit of a trip from uh, from upstate New York to go out to uh, Indiana and play that game. Um, I think you know what's interesting about Buff State is it's not. We always talk about how the the Empire Eight is going to be such a a crowded race at the top and then you mention Salisbury and you mention Ithaca and you think about Alfred and you think about St. John Fisher and Buff State now you know they're looking like offensively they may be a, a team who's going to be in the mix here in the Empire 8 so uh, that that's my obscure I guess team of the week maybe by you know a couple weeks uh, down the road it won't be so obscure. Buffalo State to Manchester I have to think is probably about four hours shorter than Buffalo State to Wisconsin Whitewater. 
Yeah, I had a feeling you might bring that up. They, they've made road trips to the Midwest before, and they've caught our eye before. But I think what's, you know, what's interesting about that is we thought, well, maybe that would be the type of win that, that energizes the program, and they, they get going from there. And, and not to say that Buff State's been bad. They, they, have not been, they haven't been bad at all, especially since, uh, since um, you know, moving over to the Empire 8 and bringing their old coach back. But um, they had they haven't really hit that next level, and you look at the offensive output uh, the past couple of weeks, and, and and you know it's maybe it's at least worth calling it our, our off the beaten path highlight, maybe rather, rather than uh, than obscure game of the week or something. Surprisingly, this week, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I'm surprised necessarily that Muhlenberg won big as much as I'm surprised that FNM lost big. I thought FNM uh, so Muhlenberg beat Franklin and Marshall 42-7. That's the Centennial Conference opener for both of them. You know, I, I think that we knew that Muhlenberg was going to be in the mix uh, for the title in the Centennial. I think probably we thought FNM would be as well uh, and especially after last week you know, opening with the uh, opening strongly against Lebanon Valley just did not happen for uh, for Muhlenberg and, and you look at the or for FNM and you look at Muhlenberg and some of the guys who are uh, you know making plays for them there's some pretty young guys uh, doing it on offense for the mules yeah and you know one of them who we'd featured in in kickoff a quarterback uh, Nick Palladino uh, obviously had a pretty good game on Saturday I'm going to stay in Pennsylvania for my uh, most surprising result and uh, and you mentioned Lebanon Valley uh, how about Widener? Well, they won at Lebanon Valley 45-3, which is, uh, you know, I don't know what's more stunning, the 45 or the 3, because they're obviously pretty good defensively. Lebanon Valley's been a good team. But now this is uh, this is two weeks now for Widener, uh, giving up a total of 10 points and, and playing two good teams and playing them both on the road. They beat Rowan 19-7 last week, 45-3 at Lebval. Uh, you know, a little bit surprising. Widener was six and four last season, and uh, that's considered a down year for them. But uh, but Lebanon Valley was an eight-win team last season, so you certainly don't expect them. Uh, you know, even after a a fairly tough twenty-eight twenty-one loss at Franklin and Marshall in week one, you don't expect them to to, to host Widener and lose forty-five-three. But I think sometimes that's what happens as we get a little more data flowing in here. Now we look back at that Franklin and Marshall game. Uh, against Lebanon Valley and, and explains why it was so evenly matched. And it turns out uh, Muhlenberg crushed F&M, Widener crushed Lebanon Valley. So uh, maybe those are the two of the better teams in Pennsylvania this season. I was sitting next to uh, Bethel's SID, Jared Johnson, at the Bethel Warburg game, and he saw that uh, result come across on Twitter, and he was about as surprised as you are because, you know, his knowledge of Lebanon Valley is, yeah, Lebanon Valley won that conference. They went to the playoffs last year. Um, the thing that I, you know, how I responded to maybe try to explain it is, you know, just kind of remind people that uh, Lebanon Valley was at the top of, you know, a pretty tight pack at the top of that conference last year. Uh, you know, there were three or four teams in competition, and, you know, Widener wasn't necessarily one of them, and they've changed coaches twice, uh, two years in a row, two years in a row in the off season. Uh, you know, they've, uh, so they have a third coach in three seasons, and, um, you know, I think that uh, Widener's last year is an aberration, and probably Widener is uh, right back where we would have expected them to be before. Yeah, and and maybe it is the the changing coaches or or you know teams just cycling down as they do every now and again because of the classes that graduate. Um, but yeah, we we certainly didn't expect six and four out of Widener last season, and, and now you know the the start that they're off to this year. It's now a team that we keep a close eye on. You maybe see maybe start to see them creep into the 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 bottom end of the top twenty five. There, I think for me that the like I said, the ten points defensively may be almost as impressive as as their offensive output on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. How about this for a stat of the week? Uh, so Lawrence beat Maranatha Baptist 59 nothing, which is in and of itself, just on paper, not necessarily a big deal. But uh, Lawrence's first shutout since 1991. It's, um, you know, obviously Lawrence has had a bunch of not particularly good years in football. Uh, but, uh, you know, to not, to go, how many years is that? Uh, 13 years? No, 23 years without a, nice, 23 years without a shutout. Uh, and, and finally put one up on Saturday. Also, by the way, the first head coaching win for Chris Harris, who took over the job early in the week last week after Mike Bartomas walked out on the job. 
That's the uh, that's the way that he got that head coaching position at Lawrence. Well, if you're gonna come in uh, with, with those kind of credentials, not kind of credentials, but uh, you come in, you you pitch a shutout. Uh, everybody certainly pretty glad to have you, and uh, that is a tough tough way to, uh, to to come into the job. You know, I remember going through a coaching change in July before a season, and we thought that was pretty compressed. You know, imagine doing it in in a game week. Um, that's that that's really crazy. My stat of the week, um, if I'm going to cheat a little bit and go back to that Rose Holman game. Just the fact that Rose Holman gave up 745 yards and 68 points, right? They gave up 745 yards and 68 points and they won. Um, if you, if I, if I want to pick something where I, where I'm not cheating or, or, or mentioning something that we haven't mentioned, uh, how about Texas Lutheran only allowing 14 points? to Harden-Simmons after allowing 73 last season. That was a pretty good uh, defensive swing. They obviously figured figured Harden-Simmons out a little bit better this time around. And uh, remember, last year, that was the game that, uh, that, that kind of ruined their playoff hopes. So, so this time, um, uh, they did a much, much better job. I'm sure that Texas Lutheran spent a lot of time over this offseason, too, thinking about the way that they uh, lost that game back in 2013 and maybe they spent a little bit more time on Harden Simmons tape this year I don't know you know there's only a there's only three other teams in the SCAC so there's not a lot of conference rivals and they're new to the conference too so I'm sure a lot of their rival their their rivalry type games are with teams from the ASC who they left yeah, but also you, you go back and and you know Texas Lutheran and, and Harden Simmons have, have played each other before their former uh, former conference rivals, so they they may know each other well in some ways. But but certainly you know after you give up seventy three, that is probably the uh, the the video you end up watching the most over the summer because you go what it, just what it, what went so wrong that day, and uh, obviously they got it figured out, and we had to tip our cap to uh, to Texas Lutheran. Yeah, you, I, I'm sure if you're a coach, you either look at that film every day or you just burn it and never hope to see it again, right? Yeah, one of the two. So I thought uh, if we're looking at last week's predictions from Triple Take, uh, pick out some of the good ones. I had a couple of them. I, I uh, The rivalry game that turned out to be the most exciting, it would be pretty hard to beat the uh, Chowder Bowl in which uh, SUNY Maritime and Mass Maritime played back on Thursday night uh, in a really tight finish. But, uh, you know, or if we want to talk about, I don't know if we've talked about this game yet, Keith, but uh, Illinois College and Rose Holman had a really good game on Saturday night. Uh, and that was uh, that was my pick for surprisingly close. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you get a pat on the back for that one, no, no doubt. Um, because that was one where, as you read through Triple Take, you're like, oh, that's kind of random. You know, Illinois College and Rose Holman. All right, I'll pay it now. Now that Pat mentioned it, I'll pay attention to that game, and it turned out being well worth us paying uh, paying attention to. So uh, you definitely get a get a hat tip for uh, for pointing that one out as surprisingly close. Uh, I you know I don't mind patting myself on the back either. It, it, if we're talking about surprisingly close game predictions, uh, Chapman and Linfield. Again, that was one where. Um, I think the name the name recognition of the two schools, obviously Linfield, you know, having won a stag bowl in the past and being a perennial, you know, not just playoff team, but one that that goes a couple weeks deep into the postseason. And Chapman, uh, a team that was kind of floating around out west without a conference until a few years ago when they finally uh, got into the Skyac. And and now they're one of the top teams in the Skyac. But a lot for a long time, they were kind of like a eh, four five, six win team, you know, pretty good, but but nothing to, to really catch your attention. So that game uh, on Saturday being a 21-14 game and Chapman having the ball several times in the fourth quarter, down by seven, driving on Linfield and Linfield's defense having to come up with big stop after big stop, having to do it on the road in, in week one, I think is a, uh, you know, is it, certainly uh, was surprisingly close from a name recognition standpoint. Maybe wasn't surprising for me, obviously, because I picked Chapman uh, to potentially upset Linfield in that game way back in kickoff. And I think uh, things worked out win and loss wise as everybody expected. But uh, but that also kind of serves notice that uh, that Chapman's going to be pretty good this season. Yeah, I think we're going to be asking that question for pretty much the rest of the season. Certainly as long as Chapman continues to win. I mean, you know, how good is Chapman? So, you know, we're going to be in this position where they played this really good game against Linfield 
and even if they go and uh, win the uh, other eight of their games and go eight and one, we're not going to learn much more about them than we learned on Saturday night. Certainly not from a you know a top twenty-five voter standpoint. From a you know if we're looking ahead at the playoffs and what kind of match they'll be for somebody in in round one if they were to get that far. Um, you know, we'll we'll certainly learn a lot about them as they play Cal Lutheran and and Occidental and and, and um, Redlands, the teams that you know generally challenge for uh, for the Sky title. We'll you know we'll find out uh, pretty pretty quickly as the season goes through here what kind of team they'll be. But you're right. I think sometimes when you have that big uh, non-conference clash and it's a close game, but but they don't win the close game, so you're like, hey, you don't really know if they if they're if that was their best day or if if they're quite at that level um I, yeah I, I guess it's just it's tough to tell and and it's uh but it's also part of what makes the season fun you like to you know you watch things unfold over the course of of uh several weeks and uh and, and as we learn more the the things we knew previously sort of come into focus you know honestly we may not even ever know how good this Chapman team is because if everything goes as we just talked about Chapman goes 8-1, they could be headed right back to Linfield in Week 12 for the first round of the playoffs, and again, we could be in the exact same situation. So, here's the prediction Here's the prediction I have to own from uh, from this past week. Uh, St. Thomas losing, or being the top 25 team most likely to be upset. I mean, technically, if you were to think that, uh, you know, a, a Warburg-Bethel game, the way the teams were ranked, wouldn't be considered a potential upset, then there weren't any top 25 upsets this week to talk about. Um, but I, you know, picked St. Thomas for the reasons I mentioned in triple take because they didn't look very good offensively uh, in week one. And I knew that lacrosse should be a better team than Eau Claire. And, you know, that just really didn't work out at all. And even though Matt O'Connell didn't uh, make it out of the game without getting hurt again, they didn't really miss a beat whatsoever on offense. No, not at all. Or defense. Nope. Yeah, yeah, it's true. You gotta. Sometimes we get we get psyched out by the big numbers, and and you have to, uh, you know, notice the zero on that other side as well. Hey, Pat, I, I wasn't much better than you. I had some bad predictions in there. I I picked Wesley Salisbury for game of the week. It had some indications, I guess, going in that it that it could have some game of the week potential uh, because it had that the rivalry aspect. It was again, it was at night and should be in front of a big crowd because both those schools are are nearby. And uh, it just was, you know, the the game itself didn't live up to the to the billing at all. We mentioned the forty three five, the oddball score. I wonder if we've ever even had a forty three five game before. Um, it, but it certainly wasn't game of the week quality. I probably should have, uh, you know, followed you on on the. Well, I guess you know, Wartburg Bethel. I don't know if that lived up to it or not. It, it certainly was a surprise. But um, but uh, there there were some games of the week out there, and and, and I didn't pick the right one. We're on to the lightning round. I figured I would throw out about four things, get Keith's take on them, Keith will throw out a few things, get my take on them, and we'll uh, and, and then we'll get to talking about what's coming up in week three. First thing that uh, really jumped off the page, and Keith, you and I talked about this uh, before we started doing the podcast, uh, Johns Hopkins, uh, you know, having to struggle a little bit to get past Susquehanna. You know, you can look pretty far down the conference standings in the Centennial from 2013 before you find Susquehanna. And I was just thinking, maybe this is the, uh, maybe this is Johns Hopkins' experience on offense showing the thing that we expected to happen in Week One against Randolph-Macon showed up against Susquehanna this week. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of it at all. You know, is, is it a, is it a, a correction a little bit from last week? It was just Hopkins just really really good and, and Randolph-Macon really bad. Was it uh, because Susquehanna knows? Johns Hopkins so well, well, you know, it's hard to make that point because Macon has has played Hopkins now three or four years in a row, so they should have some familiarity with each other's schemes. You know, was it a game that wasn't as close as it looked? Eh, it was 27-13 at one point, but but it was a legit 27-20 game. Susquehanna scored with uh, about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter, so obviously had the ball a couple times with, uh, you know, down seven with a chance to win that game, so it was a, a pretty good game. I, you know, I can't make sense of it necessarily and uh you know that's fine i think sometimes you need more than than two weeks of 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 data i guess to figure teams out but uh, josh williams for elmhurst on saturday 300 yards rushing remember this is scotty williams younger brother uh scotty was the guy who won the Gallardi trophy a couple years ago josh williams started his uh his 
collegiate career at Wisconsin Whitewater, where he was there for about a week in camp before transferring to Elmhurst. Uh, I checked. Uh, Scotty Williams did not have the uh, single-game rushing record at uh, at Elmhurst, but he had two of the top three performances. And uh, you know, now Josh Williams has uh, put his name at the top of that list. Yeah, I think what's interesting about that is a lot of times someone's younger brother doesn't want to go to the same place. They want to go somewhere else to try to make a name for themselves. And 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 someone as successful as Scotty was at Elmhurst, you know, he he did want to go somewhere else. He started out at Whitewater, obviously didn't like it. And I remember Pat, and I think you were there at this time where where uh, the family was telling us about the younger brother and said, "Yeah, he's he's gonna be pretty good," <laughs> you know. But we don't want to build him up too much yet because er- everything went so well for for Scotty Williams in his career. But uh, we see Josh has that talent. And I uh, showed it on Saturday. I think I remember talking to Josh Williams very early in the season last year, um, or uh, no, not even not last year, right? The year before, even I think after he uh, came back to Elmers, and he, I think he said the primary reason was because he didn't want to be so far away from his family, and they're all based in Chicago. And even though Whitewater's not that far, uh, it's uh, not nearly as close to uh, Chicago as Elmhurst is. Doesn't feel like Chicago either. No, it's true. How about Cortland State? Can you think of two crazier ways to lose a game? I think we talked pretty extensively last week, and people probably know about how Cortland failed to run out the clock at the end of regulation. Uh, on Saturday in Week 2, they succeeded in running out the clock, even though they weren't uh, trying to. Uh, a false start on fourth and goal from the 1, 10-second runoff, and the game is over, and they don't even have a chance to try to uh, beat Broadport State. Broadport had taken a lead with a... Uh, field goal to go up 17-14 a couple minutes earlier. Yeah, and, and maybe the toughest thing about that is to now get get that out of the kids' heads, that you're, you're 0-2, you, you feel like you should be 2-0 and because you, lo- you lose two two weeks in a row by a field goal each time in a, in a way where you thought you should have, you know, been able to, you know, you should I guess should have been able to win or should have been able to take care of it. Obviously, last week, um, they had the lead. And this week they they didn't have they were you know Brockport to kick the field goal about with with two o two left and Cortland State you know in great position you know getting ready to score and uh, and uh, again running out, running out the clock on itself unintentionally uh, I, I just think that's got to be hard to get to get it out of your mind and go next week okay we just got to clean up you know these mistakes and, and and we'll be fine you know a team that probably had pretty pretty high hopes for itself now zero two. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty crazy way to go 0 and 2 at that. Uh, Hampton Sydney avoided going 0 and 2. They defeated Christopher Newport 35 to 30. Nash Nance on paper looked much better than he did last week. Looked much better than he did against the captains last season as well. Threw for four four, uh, four touchdowns. Had just one interception. Managed to uh, the offensive line managed to keep him on his feet a lot more this week as well. Yeah, though just the one sack, and I, I think you know you hear coaches say it as a cliche. You know we're we're only as good as. Our team is only as good as we are up front, but uh, but I think in that case, it's uh, it's certainly true because they always have the skilled kids at Hampton Sydney. They obviously have the quarterback. Uh, it's just a matter of you know can they play defense and can they block for Nash Nance. All right, uh, what do you have to shoot at me in the lightning round? Southwestern winning, Oof. right? Uh, uh, you know new new programs or programs back from the dead. Uh, you you got to give them credit. I think we talked about this, Pat, as we were doing the the you know one to two forty four ranking and kickoff. Yes, we yes we did. <laughs> and and you said Solros State is vulnerable, and and this could be Southwestern's first win. And and I'm amazed that you you picked it uh, that far in advance. But I shouldn't be amazed after all these years, right? Uh, you, you know, we're not just making this stuff up out of, out of thin blue, a thin blue, out of the blue or thin air, whichever one. Thin blue air. Yeah, we're keeping with a podcast theme, making up words. That's that's, that's right. Undebeaten, Unde- that would be one of my favorite uh, made-up words for the podcast. If you get this deep in the podcast, you learn something new, right, every week. <laughs> or or we just make it up. Well, and, you know, um, this, so Saul Ross went through a coaching change. They really cleaned house in the off season. There's a bunch of young guys slash new guys, a bunch of transfers, and, uh, you know, they were still uh, they were still in the game, uh, and Southwestern had a uh, you know a, a really good second and third quarter, and then had to hold on. Uh, you know they, the four interceptions that Sol Ross threw obviously helped that out as well. Yeah, I mean you, you can't turn the ball over certainly that many times uh, and expect to win. But I think 
you know, going back to the the a team winning for the first time after going zero and ten last season, playing last week and having those kind of wacky circumstances against Harden Simmons, where they were in the game. I think it was twenty eight seventeen, and it was they were in the second half of that game, um, but not far enough along where the result ended up being final. They uh, they 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 played. But they did. But the game didn't count. You know, lightning I think is is what um, what caused the weather delay. So uh, to get a result in the books and then have it be a win and be the first win in program history, I'm sure they're having a good time, uh, or they were having a good time on Saturday night uh, down in Texas. Also in the lightning round, uh, TCNJ beat uh, FDU Florham 17-13 on Friday. That's a nice win, but it doesn't look very impressive when you when you realize you got to face Whitewater next week and you only beat Florham by four. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, but you know, it, it's I guess it's better than going into that game zero and two and basically guaranteeing that you're come out going to come out of it zero and three. It's interesting the TCNJ and and Florham. I don't know if they've developed necessarily a little uh, rivalry over the years, but they always seem to you know they, this series has been going on for a few years. They've been playing on Friday night. They have been, uh, you know, two teams that, uh, as programs, have kind of struggled in recent years and were better in the 90s, and maybe they're a fairly decent match for each other in that way. It's it's funny to look at, you know, the talent you play one week and then you turn around and have to play, uh, you know, the best team in the country next week. On the other side of this, and I think this was something that we mentioned in Triple Take, um, Thomas Moore had lost in week one against Wesley 35-20. And Thomas Moore was one of those teams that looked, they looked good. They looked sound. They just didn't look good against Wesley because Wesley sort of one step faster than them and, and just really, you know, really a, a talented, talented team. Uh, and, and had a bunch of starters back as well. I think each team in that game last year, 18 starters back. Thomas Moore playing a, a more normal D3 competition this week against Hanover they won uh pretty big like like we expected they would uh at least one more thing in the lightning round secretary's cup we got to mention that uh one of the 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 best rivalries in division three if not the the biggest rivalry you know competition wise it's just it's one of the coolest places to see a game and uh you know if you're ever in new london connecticut and and you have a chance to see a game at coast guard even if it's not the secretary's cup go to that field because it's it's set uh, against the, is it the Thames or the Thames? Am I, <laughs> I? I don't even know. I don't even know how I should pre- pronounce the river right there. One in England is the is the is the Thames, right? Yeah. The interesting the interesting thing about the Coast Guard uh, Merchant Marine game too is Merchant Marine jumps out to that twenty one to seven lead, and then Coast Guard kind of works back into it, and they score. I guess what thirty five of the last forty five points to uh, to get the victory. Yeah, and a, and a couple of long bombs from uh, from Derek Victory, obviously one of my favorite names in D three. So I, I got to sneak that name in there. Um, uh, in in the second half, these are just sec- his second half touchdown passes: thirty one yards to Collis Brown, fifty yards to Jordan Groff, and then forty seven yards to Jordan Groff. So I, I don't know if they found a, a DB they could work on in this in this game, or he just they just hit some big plays. But um, I imagine they were going crazy at uh, at Cadet Memorial Field in New London because uh, that that place is packed for this game. Uh, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. Uh, you know, each side dressed in their uniforms. You know, Coast Guard and Merchant Marine each have a. Uh, I don't even want to get on because lightning round. I don't even want to get on the whole explanation of what what each uh, each service does. But um, but it's just it's just a great game to go to, and uh, and and I imagine it was a crazy atmosphere on on Saturday with Coast Guard winning forty two thirty one. You know, the best part is is uh, you know we're still driving through Iowa at Ryan Coleman, my brother, who's the who heads up D three Photography dot com, is uh, in the driver's seat, and you know every once in a while the phone pops off and. I don't hear what Keith is saying, and then the phone pops back on, and he's still talking, so that's good. And when the the podcast comes out on Monday, I will uh, get to hear the rest of it. So, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have to have to listen to this one to, to see how it all comes together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, looking ahead to uh, week three, Keith already mentioned uh, Whitewater is going to go to College in New Jersey. So Mary Harden Baylor will be at Wisconsin Lacrosse. I'm interested in uh, potentially taking in that game. We'll see if. Uh, you know how my schedule looks. Uh, Wesley Rowan game on Saturday, even though uh, Rowan's not in the top 25 anymore, some of the luster comes off of that game, but still a pretty interesting matchup. That's going to be a conference game next year, but it has been a long time. Wesley and Rowan used to play each other all the time, very short trip. Then Wesley got good, 
and Rowan wasn't playing him for a long time, so it'll be interesting to see how this uh, game turns out uh, coming up next week there. Yeah, especially with Rowan not getting off to the, uh, the start that they'd hoped. I think you know, we thought potentially this could be a game of, of undefeated teams early in the season. And right now it's, you know, it's fourth ranked Wesley. They may be, by the time you hear this podcast, they may be third ranked Wesley. I guess they, they're not going to jump uh, Mountain Union or Mary Hart and Baylor or Whitewater. So, yeah, you got probably number four Wesley against Rowan. Wesley will be back at home. And again, the, the real interesting thing about Wesley is they got this, uh, because they're playing this year as independent, they'll be in the NJAC next year. They have a, they have a five game slate front loaded five D3 games and then they're they have five uh, non D3 games later in the season so we'll kind of they may drop off our radar somewhat uh, later in the year so we'll talk about them uh, too much early in the season so Linfield makes another long trip next week they come back to Southern California to play Redlands uh, and then we have another matchup of top 10 teams between Wisconsin Platteville and North Central you know Keith this was not much of a game in the grand scheme of things last year in the playoffs when uh you know, North Central really uh, pulled away and uh, did a number on Platteville. But, you know, it's a new year. Uh, you know, North Central took a little bit of a slow time to get started against St. Norbert in Week 2 and then really uh, poured it on at the end. So I- I'm looking forward to see how that game goes. Yeah, absolutely. And then on the other side of that, too, Platteville squeaking past Dubuque rather than, than blowing them out. And, you, and now now we think, okay, Platteville is, gonna, is coming in off just kind of barely winning. North Central was sort of getting stronger as it went along, even though they trailed 17-7, I believe, uh, early in that game against St. Norbert. So um, even though I don't think North Central is quite as strong as they were last year, they really were built for last season. That was their stag bowl team, in my humble opinion. Um, you know, they'll have a chance to, to prove me and prove everybody else that, that doubts this year's North Central team, prove them wrong on, on Saturday when they host uh, Platteville. This Rochester area game is uh, Brockport State hosts St. John Fisher. Uh, last year, you remember how uh, John Carroll and Heidelberg's schedules were both super backloaded. Now they face each other in week three. That's the OAC opener for both of these guys. As uh, John Carroll, with or without Mark Myers, no idea, will host Heidelberg. Yeah, but that that'll wake you up right early. You know, if you have your the, the your best conference opponent early in the season like that. I mentioned earlier that uh, Wisconsin Stout will be going to Wartburg. Wittenberg will host DePaw, Ithaca, and Hartwick. It could be an interesting matchup between uh, Hartwick's uh, high-powered offense this season and over many seasons past versus uh, Ithaca's strong defense. Uh, let's see, uh, Coast Guard, Hampton, Sydney. Uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh, who's not going to be in the top 25 when this week comes around. Um, you know, they uh, started the season with Robert Morris Chicago. Then they uh, lost to Marion of Indiana, which is the 2012 NAIA football champ. Uh, and then they go to South Dakota State. Uh, you're have three weeks in which Wisconsin Oshkosh is basically going to have meaningless results before they go into the YX schedule. Yeah, I mean, meaningless to us in that we won't it won't tell us anything about how they're going to compete in the MIAC this in the WIAC this season. Won't tell us anything about whether they're a really a top twenty five level team. I mean, you lose to one of the really good teams in NAIA. You know, it doesn't tell us a lot. Now, it's it's certainly meaningful to them, obviously, to to get three games in and to be able to still play a 10-game schedule, even though you can't get 10 D3 opponents. NESCAC gets underway next week. Wesleyan is at Middlebury. Uh, They were two of the three uh, leaders in that conference last season, although Middlebury had a a huge senior-laden team last season, so it'll be interesting to see how they come back. And then at the other end of that conference, Keith, uh, Tufts hosts Hamilton, and Tufts desperately in need of a win. Yeah, looking to get off a uh, 31-game losing streak. I'm not even sure how many games it is, but uh, but they 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 won the opener. And the thing about the NESCAC, which is weird, of course, is that because they only play eight games, their 31-game losing streak goes back several more seasons. So that actually, there's nobody on Tufts' team this year unless they're a fifth-year senior that that participated uh, in the last win. Their last win was the first game of the 2010 season. They went one and seven that year. They've gone. 0-8 oh, uh, three times in a row now. And if I'm not mistaken, Hamilton was the team they beat. So the last team they beat was, was Hamilton in 2010. They won 21-10 uh, back on September 25th of 2010. So we're looking at four whole years. And if if, uh, if Tufts has a chance this season, Hamilton is one of their best shots at, at breaking the streak. 
Methodist hosts Huntingdon. Ohio Northern goes to Baldwin Wallace. That's another uh, one of those openers in the Ohio Athletic Conference. Uh, so this past week, Keith, was the MIAA CCIW Challenge. Some of it skewed because the best team in the CCIW didn't even participate. Uh, they played St. Norbert this week, so they were out of it entirely. But the MIAA did take four out of seven. Uh, yeah, and I saw you did a neat little graphic on the uh, on the scoreboard page <laughs> where you had the, the logo of the winning conference in there. But I think it does say a little bit. Uh, or I don't know if it, it maybe it doesn't tell us a whole lot about the relative strengths of the two conferences, but it is uh, you know nice I think for for the MIAA to realize that uh, that their teams can compete with CCIW teams. Anyway, the reason why I bring that up is the MIAA has a challenge against the uh, NAC, the NACC. Those games take place next week. Let's see, uh, Concordia Moorhead goes to St. John's. Uh, St. John's looked really good at uh, Eau Claire on Saturday night as well. You know, St. John's has done that before in the, in the past, had good games uh, early in the season and uh, and then, you know, when they get into that MIAC schedule, you just, you don't quite know. So I, I think because those those teams know each other so well, especially Concordia Moorhead and St. John's have such a, uh, a good history, I think that'll uh, that'll be one worth watching on Saturday. Sam Sura had a, a huge game setting the uh, single-game rushing record for the Johnnies on Saturday in that win. Those are the uh, those are the big games. I'm not seeing uh, other things jumping off the schedule at me that uh, I'm necessarily missing. There's some interesting stuff. I mean, Pacific comes to Dubuque, again, a, a game you wouldn't necessarily see on the regular schedule. Rhodes goes to Pomona Pitzer. Rhodes is off to a pretty good start. So there's uh, a lot of interesting games kind of up and down the schedule from uh, East Coast to West Coast. Yeah, maybe the only other one I'd, I'd try to wedge in here is uh, Endicott playing Kane. Um, you know, given that, that a, a handful of New England teams this past Saturday played, you know, what we, we, we said, hey, we'd like to see you play. You know, if you want to earn respect for, for New England football, you play some good teams. And, and Endicott played Hobart. Uh, Hobart won that game 28-18. Um, Bridgewater State played William Patterson. Uh, Framingham State played Rowan. And what's the other one? Montclair State, Salve. So, you know, those teams went out and, and played big teams. And, then, and now Endicott's going to do it again next week. So that's the Around the Nation podcast for week two for September 15th. 2014. Don't forget to uh, stick around all, all week at d3football.com and check out the other things that uh, that we do for you. We've got uh, Play of the Week coming up on Monday uh, afternoon is the deadline and uh, Tuesday morning we will uh, announce it and show that Play of the Week highlight for you. Around the region columns uh, Ryan Tips will have Around the Nation once again this week. Thanks for listening to the Around the Nation podcast. <laughs>